I have been talking in the first two parts of this teaching of leaders, do you look like Jesus, about some pretty serious stuff that I've had to deal with in my life, and I can honestly say still dealing with some of this stuff in my life. It's, it, I guess I could say it's human nature when you do something wonderful to draw attention to yourself, but it is wrong. And, and if you haven't seen the first two parts, you really need to go into the archives of Gospel TV, no spaces, and just gospeltv.ca, and go into the archives and click on my name, Howard Ellis, and um, listen to the first two parts. It's very important that you do. I want to now refer to something that Jesus referred to quite often. He, he kept saying in his teaching, he would say, something better is here. And in Matthew 12, 6, he said, there's something better than the temple here. Now, the Jewish people worshiped their temple. They adored it, been built originally by Solomon and then destroyed and then Herod had rebuilt one for them. But they, he said, even the one that Solomon built, there's something greater, referring to himself, of course. And then in Matthew 12, 14, 41, he says there's, some, there's one greater than Jonah here. Now, they all knew the story of Jonah, the prophet Jonah who disobeyed the Lord, but then came back and saved, with his words, saved destruction of the city of Nineveh, at least for the time being. And then there's verse 42 of that same chapter. He says there's one greater than Solomon here. Well, my goodness. Who can be greater than Solomon? Troted as the wisest man of the Old Testament. But you see, his wisdom didn't keep him out of trouble. Nevertheless, Jesus said, there's one greater than Solomon here. And it says in Hebrews 1.4, when, when the writer is talking about Jesus, it said he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So here's this one who's greater than we are, Noah, Moses, all, you can go through the whole bunch. In Hebrews 3, it says, Jesus is found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Hebrews 8, 6, the ministry Jesus has received is a superior to theirs. And he's talking about the priests of the Old Testament. As the covenant of which he is a meteor, is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. So this whole exercise is saying all this great stuff that the Jewish people looked at and revered and honored. Jesus said, there's something better here. Of course he was referring to himself. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
Now, I've, I've said all this for a couple of reasons. This one in particular, we can't cleanse ourselves. The blood of animals and doves in the Old Testament couldn't cleanse us. It just covered over the sin on the outside. But Jesus can cleanse with his blood. Jesus is the one who paid the price and died in my place so that I could be forgiven. And you see, I need to ask myself if there's something, someone here superior to Temple, Solomon, Jonah, Moses, superior to the law, superior to even the blood of the animals, if there's something here that's superior, someone here, why do I try to promote myself above them? John the Baptist said, one more powerful than I. John, he was baptizing, doing wonderful things, but there's one more powerful is coming. We cannot compare God's power with any other power. There's no other power on planet Earth or in our universe that we can compare because in Ephesians 1.19, Paul says, is incomparably great power for us because we believe. And we cannot compare it to any other being, any other power. So my advice to me first, but also to you who are watching, stop trying to compete with Jesus. You can't. Solomon couldn't. He failed. We can't compete with Jesus. So stop taking glory for yourself. Stop taking attention for yourself as I spoke in the first two parts of this teaching. Give up. We're servants. I don't think that any servant, when, Paul, when Solomon was king and Queen of Sheba said what she said, there is no record of any servant sneaking into the room where she was and saying, actually, I set the table. Because if they had, it would have been game over for that servant. But yet, we do it all the time, don't we? This is what God does, but look who the one is that actually did the work. We have sinned before God, my people. Many years ago, we're in Florida with some friends of ours, and they'd invited a young man in for an evening meal with us. They wanted us to meet him. He, had, he was an evangelist. He had, had, he had a tent ministry there. And he, and he started when he was telling us about his tent ministry. He was telling us about all the different healings he'd seen and experienced. I didn't question him. I start feeling rather uncomfortable. But I wasn't questioning him. But we were sitting in this dining area, and there's a coffee table in front of me. And all of a sudden, I saw a picture so clear, my eyes open, but I saw a fist of the hand of God. I knew immediately it was the hand of God. Come down and strike that table hard. And he said, I will not share my glory with my servants. And I've never forgot that. 
God never forgot her. It was God's time to turn me so that I would be able to handle more of his glory, more of his kingdom. I would know how to handle it. I'm not saying I'm perfect yet, but I want to be. By the grace of the Holy Spirit, I want to be able to handle the kingdom of God and all the glory that is tempting for me that I can resist it and just be the servant with no name, no value, without Jesus, nothing. I want to empty myself as he did. I think of the hours we spent with people trying to get their low self-image up. I've changed my heart towards counseling many years ago. We are nothing without Jesus, but with his Holy Spirit inside of us, we are everything. Without that Holy Spirit, we're lumps of clay. With that Holy Spirit, we're vessels of clay with a, a, a precious gift inside. That's what we are. I want to also mention, you see, I'm drawing this from my own life so much. Things I've had to learn, things I'm still learning maybe but about speaking against other leaders. For years, I was an authority on how other leaders should be doing their stuff. It wasn't that I talked to other people as much as I talked to my wife sometimes about my concern, but I thought a lot about it. They should have done it this way. They shouldn't have done that. This shouldn't have happened because they made the wrong decision. But you see, there's a story in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, that we need to pay attention to. This is Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister. And they opposed him. And they, they were upset because he married a, a Sinanite woman. But when they came to him, they said, what makes you think you're the only one that can hear from the Lord? In other words, what they're concerned about wasn't what came out of the mouth. Guess who was listening? It says in verse 11, they were heard by the Lord. And when I begin to understand that when I speak against other leaders, and it says in the Bible, those leaders are there because God, God has appointed to put them there, sometimes for reasons that aren't necessarily to bless the people, sometimes for reasons to bring judgment on the people or to bring correction to the people. But he puts them there. All authority has been there. Romans and 1 Peter all speak of God putting leaders in place. Even our provincial leaders, our federal leaders, our state leaders, our country leaders. They're there for a reason. And if I start speaking against them, guess who's listening? And I believe he takes offense that the person that he put into office, I have risen up in my pride to judge that he shouldn't be there. He's doing it wrong. 
That's pride that we spoke about last. And you see, we need to take a hold of the fact that God hears and God doesn't like it when we are judgmental and critical of his leaders. Two things happened. First of all, Miriam Aaron had to confess it as a sin. God says, we're not going anywhere till we fix this up. They had to confess it as a sin. Miriam had been struck with leprosy. She was sent outside the camp for a number of days, seven days, until the leprosy was gone. And this is what happens. When I, as a leader, speak against somebody else, it hurts my ministry, my people that I'm in charge of. I don't own them, but I'm in charge of them. And there's churches across this land and ministries across this land where the leaders have spoken against someone else and they can't understand why their church is at a standstill. It might be dwindling. It might be um, going into financial trouble. The ministry might be losing staff. It might be in other trouble. Why, oh, why is it wrong we've prayed? It's because you've spoken against under the leaders and nothing is going to go ahead until you make it right before the Lord. I know of a church that did that many years ago, a church that was 100 years old and had a reputation of the, the elders tearing down pastors and even swearing at them, somebody said. And they're the, they're the board of elders now. They're men now who are spirit-filled they're, and they're seeking God. What do we do to get this church to move ahead? For 100 years, it's still only 25, 35 people. And the Lord spoke to them and said, you write letters to every family you can find that had a pastor in this church, a father or a husband or a grandfather in this church, and you ask them to forgive you. Don't make any excuses. Just ask them to forgive you. The board did that. It took them a while to find. They found 13 names and addresses that they could send letters to. And they simply asked for forgiveness for the way they had treated the pastor who had been part of their family. It's about 30, 40 years ago. That church has had three building programs. I said it was 100 years old. It's 175 now was over 100 years old. That church has had three building programs. The auditorium seats 350. They have two services because there's too many for one service. What happened? They dealt with the fact that they molested a leader. And the Lord said, the fact that you've dealt with it, now we can move forward. Verse 15, it said, they stayed there until she was restored. You know, let me tell you a little parable, if I can call it a parable. Let's think of a Christmas tree. And the lights on a Christmas tree, they're there to make the tree look beautiful. Now, if one light wants to draw attention to itself. It cannot shine brighter than the other lights. It was not created to do that. So if it wants to draw attention to itself, 
It has to do something to diminish the lights of the others so it can stand out above the others. I have seen that so much in counseling, so much even in my own life. Insecurity wants to be secure, so we think to raise ourselves up into a secure place. If we could just tear down some of the other people around us that we can find fault with, then I would feel better about myself. It doesn't work, by the way, and God hears it. God understands what you're saying, what you're doing, and he doesn't like it because the people you're speaking against are not just his children. The people you're speaking against are leaders that he put into position for a certain reason. And we have just spoken against it. Another thing I've seen in the body of Christ that's wrong is ministering for financial profit. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Oh, how I wish as a culture here in my land we could get a hold of the fact that we're not important because we have a lot of money, because we own big houses, but we're locked into that because we've been trained that way. In verse 16, the last, the first part of that verse, it says there's a rich man who produced a lot of crops. And he said, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to, I'm going to expand. But in verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. I believe any Christian, our goal is not to become rich. God wants to supply. He wants to supply abundantly. He may even use the word wealth sometimes or to make us rich, but his intention was that we would be a people that would finance the kingdom of God. We'd finance ministries that are going overseas as, as missionaries and organizations that feed the poor and work with the poor. That was his job, but as one man in teaching down in the States. I heard him say this. I can't think of his name. But he said he believes the Christians of the United States, and I'm sure it's true of Canada as well, the Lord has given us so much money. His intention was that we would evangelize the world. But instead of that, we decided to spend it on ourselves. I said, oh, man, I've done that. I've done that. We need to be rich towards God. We joke about the fact that we can't take it with us. I have news for you. We can't take it with us. It's not a joke because it's ruining our lives today. The Bible's so clear. We can't outgive God. The more we give, the more he'll bless us so we can give more. He doesn't want us living in poverty but he doesn't want us living in extravagance either. He is there to bless us with great wealth. Even the Bible says he takes from the world, the, the things of the world, even things like prostitution and, and deception, profits they made, he wants to give it to us as a people. But we have to learn to spend it right. 
Elisha in 2 Kings 5 was totally free when he healed Naaman the prophet, pardon me, Naaman the Syrian of leprosy, and Naaman offered him a whole bunch of money. Elisha says, no, no, thanks, I don't need it. He didn't take it. Now his servant snuck out afterwards and went after Naaman the prophet and got some of that stuff, but he paid for it because Naaman's the leper, the leprosy that he had, now the servant got it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17, unlike so many, he could say this today, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. I've been to Africa. I've seen what happens over there. When, when some of those young men, that maybe they can't find work, but they're a Christian, and they see what the pastor's doing and how he begs for money and sells oil, anointing oil for money and, and promises blessing for money, they go and start their own church. Because God called them? No. Because they have a burden for souls? No. Because they love the offerings. The man that I was working for over there knew the area. He said, Howard, we're turning right here to go to the place where we were teaching. But if I turn left, if we turn left, in one kilometer, there's 17 churches. And these are little cubicles, sometimes just a tent or something, but there's seven. And what are they there for? Just so they can take up an offering. We in America have the same attitude. Maybe we do it different, but we're doing the same things. I pray the Lord will deliver you from the greed that's so prominent in the body of Christ, especially among leaders. I'm not a prosperity teacher. I believe the Lord wants to prosper us, but he doesn't want to prosper us. So we can buy five Cadillacs and three Rolls Royces and have 14 swimming pools in the backyard. It doesn't agree with the life of Jesus nor the apostles after him. Another point I want to make, we should be anxious to obey and please God in everything. Listen to some of these verses. Second Chronicles 12, 14. King Rehoboam, he took over the 10 tribes of Israel, did evil because they did not seek the Lord. Oh, listen to me, leaders. Do you have a prayer life? Do you have a time in the word, not for preparing the next teaching? Do you have a time in the word for your own feeding? Do you have a prayer life where you intercede for your own family, your own soul, and also for those in your church? Second Chronicles 26.5, King Uzziah. Listen, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. What a prompt. King Rehoboam didn't seek the Lord. Evil overtook him. King Uzziah did. Second Chronicles 27, 6. King Jothan grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So I need the word of God constantly being brought into my spirit, into my soul, so that when I minister the word of God, it comes out of that. I know what he wants. When I was preparing this teaching, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt 
This teaching was for this recording. It's for you today. God called me to do it. I know he did. I'm not saying I think he did. I know he did. I'm not boasting. I'm trying to instill within you a hunger to know the voice of God before you give to the people. Have fresh food for them, folks. Not last year's servants rehacked, but have fresh food for them. And only the word of God can give you that food. Numbers 20, verse 8 and 12. This is where they were in the wilderness and they ran out of water. God said to Moses and Aaron, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes and they'll pour out its water. And you understand holiness means I obey the Lord in everything. The trouble is here, they had had water problems before. The first time God said, take your staff and hit the rock. So now, many months later probably, we don't know how long, now they're out of water again. God says, now take your staff, but speak to that rock. And they didn't. They struck the rock. Why? Well, we're experienced now. We know how to do this. Uh, we kind of ignore that God said, speak to us, because the right way is to just strike it with the rock. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, listen, because you did not trust in me, now how do we know how to trust God if we don't know what he said? Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me. Oh, so obeying him honors him. That's what it says. To honor me as holy in the sight of the Israeli. Oh, when I... Obey the Lord, I'm putting my trust in him, and I'm honoring him, and the people see that he's a holy God. Because they didn't do that, Moses and Aaron, they will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because you thought you knew a better way. Because tradition has it that this is the way we do it. God said, you won't bring them in. You didn't trust me. You didn't honor me. You didn't present me as holy in the sight of the people. Oh, my goodness. And on top of that, I think Moses struck that rock because he had a bad attitude. In Psalm 106, verse 33, when, he, when the psalmist is talking about this situation, it said Moses ushered pardon me, uttered rash words that came from his lips. Uriah, remember Uriah? He was the husband of um, Bathsheba, who David got pregnant. Uriah was out in the battlefront. But Uriah paid the unjust penalty to cover up David's sin. And pastors and leaders and teachers. If you're living in a secret sin, your people that you lead, it's possible they might have to pay the price. And I could give you examples. In this 
in this province where I live alone of congregations that have been torn apart and hurt and disillusioned because of the hurt of the sin of the pastor. We don't have to promote ourselves. Joshua 3, verse 7, God exalted Joshua. Joshua didn't exalt himself. God exalted him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, you're a great and awesome God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Teach us, Lord, your way. Amen. please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.